I appreciate the uh, songs that uh, Brian led, and uh, they had particular significance to the lesson this morning. It's not always easy to be a Christian. There have been times when it's been much more difficult than it is now, but it, there are difficulties in, in having a, a commitment to death to the cause of Christ. But sometimes we're faced with those kind of issues, and whether that's the issue that we face today or not really doesn't matter. There are other issues that may be just as significant to us as we're trying to live out our faith in Jesus If you were alive 2,000 years ago, it could have very well been the case that you might have been with your family in a wagon pulled by some kind of a mule or a donkey or so forth, going down the road, and a Roman soldier might stop you and ask you to confess that Caesar was Lord. Being a Christian, you can't make that confession. So what he might have done at that time is hold a sword to your throat and say, confess that Jesus is Lord, or that that Caesar is Lord. If you continue to refuse to confess, he might grab your child and hold the sword to their throat and say, confess that Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't, with one swipe, your child falls dead before your eyes. And then he moves to your next child and says, make the confession. You can't do that. So your second child is killed before your eyes. Then he goes to your wife and holds the sword to her throat, and still you can't make that confession. And so she too is put to death. And then they come to you, and what would have been merciful would have been your death, but they wouldn't do that. They plucked your eyes out so that the last thing that you ever saw in this world is the death of your wife and children and then sold you off into slavery where you spent the rest of your life maybe in the bowels of a a ship attached to an oar where you would row until the day you became useless. That's the price that people did pay to be a child of God. There are other stories that you can look at the first century, uh, the stories with... um, what Rome did in the, in the subsequent centuries with regard to the, the games in the Colosseum and how Christians were used for sport, uh, for wild animals to eat in gladiatorial contests where their lives were just uh, mercilessly taken. It's not always been easy to be a Christian. Compared to those things, we might think that, well, today we have it pretty easy. Adrian just mentioned in his prayer that we live in a place, and he thanked God that we live in a place where we don't face the persecutions that a lot of people face. And and I'm thankful for that too, because not everywhere has as much ease in living out their Christian life that we do today. But there are still struggles nonetheless. You face struggles. You face hardships as you try to live out your Christian life. They may not be life and death struggles to the extent that we've looked at, but they are struggles nonetheless. And I believe that God gives us comfort and calm in the midst of chaos. And I don't know what your situation may be, whether it's an issue of health or finances or your children or your parents or your relationship with other people, your marriage 
or you know your work, uh, all those type of things, they they can weigh on us and they can pull us down and and we can maybe not know where to turn. But there's calm in chaos for the child of God. The passage uh, that was just read in uh, Habakkuk chapter three. Just to give you a little context to that passage, in Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet says, Lord, man, when I look around, I see, I see trouble everywhere. I see the righteous persecuted by the unrighteous. It doesn't seem like justice ever prevails. Those who are wicked seem to be on top of the game, and those who are trying to do your will, we're, we're at the bottom of the heap. How long are you going to let this go on? Well, God answers in Habakkuk chapter 1 and says, listen, I have a work in progress right now that if I didn't tell you, you'd never believe it. Right now, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and I will bring them to bring judgment upon Judah for the sins that you have been describing to me. I've got it all under control. Well, Habakkuk says, I don't know about that plan. I don't understand that because... I know we're bad, but we're not that bad. I mean, they're worse than we are. How can you use a a lesser or a more wicked nation to punish a lesser wicked nation? You even describe the Babylonians as a wicked and hasty and violent people, and you're going to punish us by them? Seems like it should be the other way around. I don't understand it, but if you would explain it to me, I'd appreciate it. Chapter 3. God explains it. And he tells them, basically, he tells the prophet Habakkuk that in its due time, everything's going to be okay. If I want to use the Chaldeans to punish you for your wickedness, I'll use them. That doesn't mean the Chaldeans are getting off scot-free. That doesn't mean that they're not going to have to answer for the things that they've done. I'll take care of them in my own time. I can do as I wish. Justice will prevail. And this is my plan. Well, Habakkuk now knows that he and his people are going to be invaded by a foreign army that is wicked and has a terrible reputation for cruelty. How would you be feeling? Don't don't just put this back. That's an Old Testament story. What if you knew that in a couple months, I don't know, China is going to invade and run, overrun us and the soldiers will come in and they'll take your wives and your daughters and they'll kill the men and you, know, and, and you can't do anything about it. You know it's going to happen and you're just sitting here waiting. What a terrifying position to be in. And that's what Habakkuk was in. A prophet of God, he still has feelings. He still has emotions. He's afraid of the thought of the Babylonians coming in. And so he says, when I heard, verse 16, when I heard, my body trembled. I, I got sick at my stomach when I heard what the Lord said to me. I, I was trembling. But he said, even if the fig tree doesn't bear fruit... And if there's no uh, labor from, or if there's uh, no fruit on the vine, and if the labor of the olive fails, and though there be no flock and everything be cut off, in other words, if, if everything that we do to make a living is taken away from us, I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to put my faith in Him. 
I don't like what I'm going through, but I can find peace in it. I think that is a powerful message that speaks through the ages to us today. We don't face the kind of persecution that they faced then, but we do face opposition in other ways. There are so many long-held and cherished uh, moral and societal values that have all come loose, it seems like, here in the last decade or two. Things that we thought would never be challenged are challenged today. Things, doctrines that we thought had been nailed down many years ago, the, the nails have come loose. People challenge, question, and don't believe and teach otherwise. Institutions like the home, marriage, is being questioned and challenged today. And, it, you know, we look at our society and we think, what in the world, what's it going to become of us? There's chaos in many ways, but in spite of that chaos, there is calm. And the calm comes from doing what God told us to do and some things that he told us to know. And I want to share four things with you this morning that we should do in times of chaos. And we live in times of chaos. Number one, what we should do is, first of all, live with assurance. That helps. If you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, it, it gets a little hairy. If you know no matter what happens, this is going to be the result, that helps. Have you ever watched a movie? At, well, listen, sometimes I go to, to church and miss the end of a ball game. And so, you know, by the time I got home, you know, I have the tape recorder going, I, you know, or the VCR, or the uh, DVR, and, and I'm recording the Steelers play. And I'm really excited about the game and anxious about it. And then on the way home, I look, check my phone, Steelers win. It makes watching that game a whole lot easier. You know, it's not nearly as stressful when you get, because you know how it's going to end. Even though it may be tight for a while, if you know how it's going to end, it's going to be okay. And we know how it's going to end. God's read to us the last chapter of the book of our life. I don't know the circumstances that involve my death, but I do know what happens when I die. And so I need to think about that. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, the Bible says that we need to live with assurance. John said, the reason I wrote this book is so that you might know that you have eternal life. Those of you who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to have that kind of knowledge. That kind of knowledge gives me peace of mind. It helps me to get through troubles. And yet, I think we sometimes rob ourselves of the security that God wants us to have. I remember years ago, we lived right next door to the church building. And when the church would get out, we'd all go outside and we'd mess around in my backyard. And there was a church down the street that would let out about the same time. And some kids from that congregation would would come down or that, that church would come down and they'd say something like this. Hey, you guys, are you saved? I remember them asking me that. And I remember saying, well, I hope so. That's the best I could offer them. Now, I know I was, I was a teenager, but there's a better answer than that. 
Listen, if I'm a child of God walking in the light and walking in the footsteps of Jesus, I am saved. I don't have to just simply hope I'm saved. Can you see the Apostle Paul at the end of his life saying, I've fought a good fight, I've finished a course, I've kept the faith, henceforth I hope there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He didn't say that. It's a matter of fact because God is faithful and he'll do what he said. The grace of God enables me, though through my imperfections, that I can be able to say, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved. Oh, I'm not perfect. And when I make mistakes, it grieves me and I seek his forgiveness. And that's how I know that I'm saved. Because I confess my faults. And I still keep my faith in Jesus Christ. The grace of God is great. We need to talk about it. And I think there has been, at times, by some folks, a a disproportionate amount of time spent on the fact that we can fall from grace rather than talking about standing in and living in the grace of God and the assurance that we can have because of His grace. I want to know more than just I can fall from grace. I want to know how I can live in it with confidence and assurance that he gives me. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, 4 that certainly we can fall from it. And and we need to warn about that. It's not a done deal. You don't just make a one-time confession of faith in Christ and, and everything's good forever. Uh, we can lose our salvation. We can receive the grace of God in vain, but... We can also stand in it, Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, and we can rejoice in it. Listen, folks, if you're a child of God, if you're in Christ and under the umbrella of His grace, and if you're trying to walk in His footsteps, and you don't with a high hand sin and live in rebellion to God, and when you do make mistakes, not because of a high-handed rebellion, but because of weakness, and you seek His forgiveness, you're safe. You're saved. That's why Jesus died, to, to cover people like you in your sins. God has made provision for our imperfections so that we, as John said, we can know that we have eternal life. Listen, when my world is turned upside down and I don't know what's happening tomorrow and there are things that just rock me to my core, it's good to know, it's a stabilizing influence in my my life to know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to go to heaven. The Lord loves me and has forgiven me. A second thing that we need to do is we need to love the truth. That should go without saying, but um, sometimes the truth hurts, but it never harms. There's a distinction there. Sometimes truth will hit you right between the eyes and make you uncomfortable and make you squirm. Sometimes a preacher will say things and you'll think he heard you say something or somebody told on you and he's just saying something to get right at you. It's not the case at all, but sometimes the truth makes us uncomfortable and it hurts us, but it never harms. The truth is intended to bring about change and and that truth that hurts if we change 
is for our good, not for our harm. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that uh, in verse 3 that the, the Word of God is not grievous. His commandments are not, not grievous. Uh, they're good for us. But sometimes truths are hard to receive, but we need to share those truths anyway. I don't buy into the philosophy of having and pursuing a religion that just makes everybody feel good. They've tried that. They tried it in the days of Jeremiah when the prophets would say, peace, peace. Everybody, go on home. You're doing fine. We're we're doing good. Peace, peace. And Jeremiah said, there is no peace. We're at odds of God. He's our enemy. There can't be peace if God is our enemy. So when it comes to truth, though it may be unpleasant and though it may be negative at times, we need to speak it. I've, well, there's a rather popular preacher right now that speaks to thousands and thousands of people every week, and he's been interviewed on Larry King and so forth. And, and I remember one interview where Larry King asked him and said, you know, you never talk about sin. Why don't you ever talk about sin? And his response was, in my opinion, there's enough negative stuff in the world. I don't want to tear people down. I don't want to be heavy. I want to build people up. And that's the focus of my preaching. Well, you know, that may sound good. But Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, said, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. If I'm to be faithful as a preacher, there's some negative things that I have to say that are intended to bring about positive change. And if I avoid those things to keep people liking me, then I don't need to be up here. I need to speak the truth regardless of what people do or say or think or how they're living. It's better to be divided by the truth than to be united in error. You know, division is a terrible thing, but sometimes it's necessary. If you don't think that, read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 29 where the Apostle Paul said, there must be divisions among you so that those who are faithful can be manifest. Sometimes, when, well, two can't walk together, Amos 3 and verse 3, unless they are agreed. There are times when we say, I can't go along with that. That's not biblical. I have to pull back. There has to be division if someone is to remain faithful to God. It's better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It's better to speak the truth that hurts and heals than to speak lies that comfort and kill. It's better to be hated for telling the truth than to be liked for telling a lie. That catches up with you eventually. It's better to stand alone with truth than to stand with a multitude in error. What good will it do you in the day of judgment if you've been with the group here and you felt secure? Listen, there's insecurity in being alone. I don't like to stand alone. I like to have people who agree with me and who share the same point of view. And when I have to stand alone, it makes me uncomfortable. But standing with people isn't going to do you any good in the day of judgment if he says you're all wrong. You should have done what was right. should have had the courage to stand up. And it's better to ultimately succeed with the truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. A lot of things can be done to make a church grow. 
to get a bigger contribution, to get bigger numbers, attendance. A lot of things can be done if people find entertaining and so forth. But that temporary growth, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the kind of thing that will last and bless forever. Folks, we need to love the truth. In the midst of chaos, we need to know that we're saved. We need to love and speak the truth. And a third thing is that we need to remember what our mission is. Our mission is to bring glory to Christ. A couple years ago, we had a wet-dry vote in Glasgow. Um, For a number of years, well, up until that time, the city of Glasgow was a dry county, a dry city, and so no alcohol could be served. And and so we had this big election, and there was force. And and we ended up this last time, we we lost the election just by a, a handful of votes. And so many people came and they were so upset and distraught. Now what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And and one of the things that I got up the next Sunday and preached is nothing changes. All right, so they're going to serve alcohol in restaurants in Glasgow. What has changed? I'm still a child of God. I still have the same mission I ever had. Though our our community has changed some of their moral values, our mission is identical to what it was before the election. What men choose to do doesn't have anything to do with who I am and what my mission is. And you may live in a time of chaos, and the world may turn upside down, and what is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right, as seen by our society. It doesn't change a thing. We have a mission. And whether the world likes it or appreciates it or doesn't, it's what we need to be about. We need to preach the gospel to the whole world. We need to get busy at the work that God has given us to do while it is yet day, Luke 19 and verse 10, for the day comes when no man can work. And then finally, we need to remember the power of prayer. Last year, we had the theme uh, of providence. That, that power of prayer is an amazing thing. I have people from time to time come to me and say, I don't know what would have happened. Prayers. It was the prayers. I don't know how I could have gotten by. I don't know how I would have managed had I not known so many people were praying for me. Prayer. God can do great things through prayer. Things aren't settled. God has his hand in the affairs of men. And he can, if it is his will and his desire to reach into our lives and manipulate things through his providence that will benefit us and be answers to our prayers. James 5 and verse 16, therefore, says, pray. Uh, Pray for one another. And we need to do that without ceasing, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that we need to pray and ask of our Father and seek from him and knock, and he'll hear and he'll answer and he'll open. We need to pray and allow God to do what he wants to do. There are things that may be weighty on you and you don't know what's going to happen. Pray. Don't, don't let prayer just be that last resource. resource. Let it be a first resource. Don't use it like a spare trunk in a, ti- uh, a spare tire in a trunk. 
where you, you just pull on it in case of emergency, you, you get it out and you have to use it then. Pray, and that's what we do. We, we become people of prayer when we're faced with trouble. It's just the way it is. But let's continue to be people of prayer at all times. If, um, well, the IRS, we don't have a great appreciation for what they are and what they do for us. We, we kind of resent having to give our hard-earned money up. But, but it's, a needed, it's a needed organization. Without taxes, where would we be? Jesus acknowledged the necessity of uh, rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. But, you know, the purpose of the IRS is to collect, to assess and collect taxes. But do you know what the purpose of the IRS is in time of national calamity and crisis? It's to assess and collect taxes. doesn't change. doesn't matter what, you know, whether things are falling apart or whether things are going well. That organization has one mission, and it's to fulfill it. And folks, that's us. That's the children of God, the church. You know what we should do in good times? Serve God. Be faithful to our calling. But you know what we should do in chaos? Same thing. Serve God. Be faithful to your calling. And know that at the end of the chaos, there's salvation. There is justification. There's vindication. I don't know what you're facing today. There may be difficult things that, that have you just kind of tied up in knots. It may be your marriage. It may be your health. It may be, you know, your job. It may be your finances. It may be sin in your life. There are things that can happen to you that just have you disturbed, and you don't know what to do. The thing to do is to be a faithful child of God. Rest in his promises that he is working on our behalf. And know, Romans 8 and verse 28, that God will work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You can hang your hat on that. That can get you through the darkest of hours. Habakkuk is sitting, waiting for this impending army to come in and do whatever they had planned to do. He doesn't know he's going to escape this and be okay. He doesn't know what will happen to him. But he has this resolve. This thought scares me to death. It makes me sick at my stomach. I have butterflies. But whatever happens, I'm going to trust in my God. And I encourage you to adopt the same philosophy. I don't know what's going to happen to us. I don't know what's going to happen to our society. If we'll ever take a turn and, and head back to a more moral base, I, I don't know. And if we're called to live in more times of chaos than we already are, I, I don't like that. I don't relish the thought. I don't like the thought of my children and grandchildren and my, my descendants or your descendants growing up in a wicked world that is even more wicked than it is today. I don't like that. But I'm not going to despair because I'm a child of God. And I'm going to try to instill faith in my children and their children so that they too can have this source of strength and comfort and security in times of chaos. The child of God can live in any era. They did it in the days of the Roman persecution. 
We can do it today. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God. There is calm for your soul in the midst of chaos. Jesus offers you a peace that passeth understanding. If you haven't yet obeyed the gospel by being baptized into Christ, why don't you do that this morning? If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need the prayers of your brethren, you, you want their strength and comfort that comes through their prayers, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.